Ripple, the brainchild of Ripple Labs, is consistently categorized as one of the more confusing cryptocurrencies. This stems from the fact that Ripple, in itself, is not actually a cryptocurrency, XRP is. When people hear Ripple, they instantly think of their coin, XRP. This makes sense since other communities and coins are the same. When you buy ETH, you are betting on Ethereum, and when you buy BTC, you're betting on Bitcoin. Why would Ripple be any different? That is why it's essential to understand the critical differences between XRP and Ripple. So with that, let's start the show. Hey guys, how's it going? I hope you're all doing well today. And I'm really happy to be back talking to you guys, and this week we're going to talk about Ripple. We really hope that you guys love this week's segment as much as we did, and spread the word to help us keep growing. Definitely glad to see that you guys are enjoying all the content that we are producing. Now, before we get into everything, I can't help but plug our social media for you guys, as it is one of the best ways for you guys to reach out to us, let us know your feedback, and uh, give us some tips on some shows you might want to hear and more. Uh, as you guys know, you can follow us on Twitter at Fireside underscore Crypto and Instagram, Facebook, and Twitch at Fireside Crypto. Be sure to give us a rating on iTunes, too, so other people can find us, as that does help us uh, gain some traction. And uh, subscribe wherever you are listening so you don't miss when we post our shows at uh, 7 a.m. Central Standard Time, Monday and Wednesday. Now that's out the way, let's get into this week's segment, and then we'll be talking about Ripple and Ripple Payment Protocol. And guys, with that, without further ado, let's get into this week, Ripple. Ripple's story goes back to 2004, when Ryan Fugger, a web and decentralized systems developer, was working on a local exchange trading system in Vancouver. His goal was to develop a decentralized monetary system that would allow people to create a medium of exchange for whatever purposes they saw fit. He eventually launched his first iteration of this idea with RipplePay.com. In 2012, developers Jed McCaleb and Chris Larson approached Ryan Fugger with their idea for a digital currency. The system would rely on transactions verified by a consensus process among members on the network, instead of mining verification, a method used by Bitcoin and many other cryptocurrencies. Michaela and Larson co-founded OpenCoin. Things were looking great for OpenCoin, but less than a year after its founding, Michaela left the company. On September 26, 2013, OpenCoin officially rebranded themselves as Ripple Labs Incorporated and decided to become a fully open source. By becoming open source, the Ripple protocol was now independent independent of Ripple Labs. While they can and still do lead the development of the network, the Ripple network technically does not need the company to remain active. The next few years would prove difficult for Ripple, as they received a $700,000 fine from the U.S. Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, known as FinCEN, for, and I quote, willfully violation of the Bank Secrecy Act by acting as a money services business without registering with FinCEN. Ouch, Ripple. Uh, by corporizing them, corporatizing themselves, Ripple Labs exposed themselves to government regulation in a way that, I mean, some other cryptocurrencies don't, uh, don't get exposed to and are safe from. Bitcoin, for example, is not backed by any corporate entity or person and leaves any sort of regular, regulatory liability of the, on the users of the network rather than like a centralized group or person. I mean, if that doesn't add to the notion of Bitcoin's excellence, not sure what else will. 
After the run-in with FinCEN, Ripple obtained a virtual currency license from the New York State Department of Financial Services. This allowed Ripple to continue business as usual, and Ripple became only the fourth company to hold, hold a bit license, or a business license of virtual currency activities. Now that Ripple was, a, was fully a licensed organization they, and recognized as a virtual currency form, firm, they were able to continue operation. Great to hear. And uh, by this point, Ripple had been working on several different Ripple product protocol projects and uh, shifting away from a pure peer-to-peer currency that they uh, initially had begun with. The protocol had been adopted by a growing number of financial institutions as an alternative remittance option for consumers. Remittance refers to the transfer of money by a foreign worker backed by their foreign nation of origin. And for those who consider their investments in digital assets as a means to protect themselves from the the corruption and the general failings of the traditional banking system, you guys often view Ripple with distrust as it is clear that Ripple has aligned with the perceived enemy. I hope you guys are enjoying this so far, but if we can backtrack a little, that would be great. Uh, I want to go back to the bit license that is needed to do business here in the U.S., now, if you guys remember from our Circle Cash and Gemini episode, uh, Circle is actually one of those companies that does have that bit license in the U- that is needed for the U.S. Uh, also, another company that you guys probably have heard of that does, in fact, have that is Coinbase. Those two are actually two of the only four companies that have been awarded their license here in the U.S., and the third being Ripple. Now that we have a, a little contest here at the show, if you guys would like to know who the fourth company who was awarded the bid license is, now don't go and Googling it or anything, but uh, let us know at the Fireside Crypto Podcast uh, Twitter at Fireside underscore Crypto, and uh, we'll give you a little treat for your, uh, for your knowledge. Noise. Yeah, guys. Time to quiz the Fireside Crypto family and see if you guys have been paying attention and doing your research. And... Um, I wonder how Ripple achieves that $700 payment. Uh, do you think they paid the FinCEN and XRP tokens? <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't know, I'm probably just kidding, probably not. But honestly, researching that Ripple receives a fine plays well for me because you can take this fine as a small step in the right direction with combating banking institutions. Right now, the Federal Reserve, which isn't a U.S. government agency that is privately owned, if you didn't know, controls the printing of money and interest charges and changes. This fine proves that Ripple, in some way, was trying to eat off the big boy's plate, and they apparently did not like that. Ripple initially wanted businesses to use XRP on the Ripple network to send and receive global payments. The sheer size of the global payments industry and issues around data protection meant XRP on its own wasn't really suitable. Thus came RippleNet. RippleNet is the name given to the global payment system of Ripple. It creates a global network of banks in which people can send and receive payments through Ripple technology. They claim the system to have real-time messaging, clearing, and gross settlement certainty or of transactions. Gross settlements is a name given to the transfer of funds or securities between two banks. Gross refers specifically to the ability to enable those transactions to happen one by one instead of sending them as a bulk transaction. For example, it can be banks posting all their transactions of the business day at the end of each day. And all of that works, by the way, by forming these partnerships between banks and other clients to have access to the RippleNet network. Once a participating bank is a part of the network, users around the world can interact with that bank through their own local RippleNet-enabled bank. Users refer to corporations, individuals, and other organizations looking to participate in banking activities. 
and uh, now we will explain the products and other services that Ripple has to offer. The XRP ledger is a public ledger that is used to transact a number of different currencies that can be uh, normal cryptocurrencies, currencies, uh, commodities, or really any other asset that can be digitized and uh, use it for value transfer anywhere across the world. Next, we have XRP. XRP is the digital asset native to the above mentioned XRP ledger. The XRP token serves as the purpose to the medium of exchange and the anti-spam measure for the ledger, basically the transaction fees. Um, it's also needed for some more advanced features um, that can be applied down the road, such as payment channels and escrow services. But uh, well, if you guys want to hear learn, learn more about this, uh, we are going to be doing an episode on Wednesday where we go all into the XRP ledger and everything that has to do with XRP. So if you guys want more, make sure you tune in to Wednesday episode as Alex and I will be discussing XRP and its purposes. Now we'll continue with the RippleNet and its series of products. One of the products consists of XCurrent, which is their payment processing system. XCurrent enables payment processing between banks, and their Ripple Network paper describes it as a standardized technology enabling the ability to message and settle transactions between banks with increased speed, transparency, and efficiency which can be found on page 9 of their RippleNet brochure. Next they have XRapid, which is a source of liquidity. liquidity. XRapid is whatever banks need to hold uh, foreign currencies, they need to hold them in order to enable fast transactions without constantly having a pair to pair up with transaction fees. And like other accounts known as Nostra accounts, which are usually means you have to have the same amount as they have. So XRapid is usually good at pulling a number of funds uh, from the banks, and then you're able to access them more easily. Their third is being their XVIA payment organization. Their XVIA is finally what a global payment transaction system has to have. It's a web services that layer providing corporations with the ability to secure and originate real-time payments with rich data attachments. And that can also be found on page 13 of the RippleNet brochure. Okay, so that was a lot of information right there. Let's go back a little and talk about XCurrent. It is built upon another open source platform that was in fact developed by Ripple called Interledger. It allows for different payment networks to plug into each other and allow people to send and receive all across the world quickly and securely. XCurrent is our flagship product. It gives banks the ability to move money across borders efficiently. It uses the Ripple Net and the Ripple blockchain, but it does not use XRP. Banks like this, they love this type of software because it allows them to save money and time when sending payments without really introducing much risks or changes to their workflow. It also should be noted that while it does not have to use XRP, XRP can be used in it uh, through this thing called XRapid. XRapid helps banks improve liquidity when trading in emerging markets, and it is the only product that uh, uses exclusively XRP. Banks like it because it helps them free up mountains of money that they are stuck just sitting on, but they dislike it because it introduces unknowns of volatility of the XRP token. XRapid uses XRP as a method to make liquidity much more efficient by placing liquidity in the target accounts just in time for the payments to happen over the interledger model. 
XVIA is similar to XCurrent, but allows entities besides banks, such as corporations and payment providers, to send money through banks. It also should be noted that while XRP is not necessary in XVIA, it is optional. The XVIA API is designed so that it requires no software application, yet it does enable the seamless global transactions that can be found on a transparent, information-rich platform. According to Mr. Ashish Birla, the Ripple's senior vice president, there is a growing need for seamless digital transactions with an increasing number of customers, especially in emerging markets, looking for access to global digital payment solutions while having to deal with the while not having to deal with the inefficiencies of the existing fragmented platforms. Now, to try and simplify the functions of all three, consider XRAP, XCurrent. XCurrent can be seen as a payment service almost like Zelle, but on a bigger scale. XRapid allows large holding accounts the ability to move all funds available with XRP freely, the gas in this scenario, and XVIA will we'll consider it as Zelle, but for big corporations. Consider this like if Chase wanted to send Barclays $200 million. I mean, they definitely sell them, send them more, but for exa- this example, we'll use that. This could theoretically be done with XVIA. Now moving on to the underlying basics, Ripple does not use a proof-of-work algorithm like Bitcoin, rather it uses a consensus protocol to validate transactions. This new consensus protocol states that in Ripple's white paper, their consensus algorithm is something that is new and unproven. When it was initially presented, Ripple had carried out several validations for the transactions. This together with the fact that they have partnered with many banks has shown that the consensus algorithm might work well for validations and transactions. These validations ensure that there are no double spends of XRP. However, this is why the need for a currency is in fact the real question. The interledger protocol is specified in Ripple's white paper and it is basically the way the Ripple network allows for cross-currency remittance. In order to understand the interledger protocol, we need to explain how banks currently use international payments. They use different databases at ledgers to make sure that credit and debit assets are tailed in the local native currency. What Ripple does is it settles currencies across multiple ledgers by settling each separate ledger by using XRP as an intermediary currency. In order to distribute the amount of control that the Ripple Corporation exerts over the network and more importantly to enable the network to operate even if Ripple fails as a company, a series of validators have been put in place. Validators, something like a unique node, are organizations or individuals that can verify a transaction on the Ripple network. So they act as sort of a um, semi-centralized agency since it is the one that Ripple, uh, Ripple does choose the validators. Um, but validators also make sure that their transactions are not double spent by agreeing in the transact in the order of the transactions. Amongst the current uh, number of validators of the Ripple protocol, there are a number of MIT graduates, Microsoft engineers, CIG uh, analysts, and a few more running the actual network. Unfortunately, this list is not that extensive, and there is a series of nodes and addresses that are not public. Um, so there is that kind of risk of centralization, um, but due to that fact, we don't really know if the Ripple investors, employees, or board of directors is isn't part of that uh, elite part of validators that is not known to the public. Uh, we really hope you're understanding the difference between Ripple Labs and XRP, uh, and we'll get more into that on Wednesday. So now we will have to touch base on the differences Ripple has over other cryptocurrencies. 
Ripple is somewhat of an odd cryptocurrency since it has a number of traits and design points that are significantly different from other popular product. Ripple is not mine, and there is no proof of stake, and there is no ICO either. Well, I know they have that current lawsuit, but we'll talk more later on that. Ripple is not a token on another network either, since today the vast majority of Ripple coins are held by the Ripple company itself. Indeed, a staggering amount of Ripple is being kept off the market, and that is entirely under the control of the Ripple company and several of its leaders. Ripple's transaction fees are burnt, so there is nothing for the miners to collect, as there is with other popular blockchains. This was done to be a deflationary measure to the total amount of Ripple coins in the market. Just a little side note, it should be noted that the total number of Ripple XRP tokens that will ever enter the market is a hundred billion, and currently over 60% of that hundred billion is held off the market. Regarding transaction processing, there are only a few validation nodes that can actually participate in the network. Some sources state that only banks and market makers are eligible to run the nodes. This has led to arguments that Ripple is not a decentralized currency. Therefore, it is hypothetically possible to be much more prone to attacks, and if these core nodes go down or are corrupted by a nefarious party, we definitely might see something. As you can see, Ripple Labs has control over XRP to an extent, since it holds a significant portion of those XRP tokens. And as the lead developers of the product, Ripple Labs seem to be the ones who approve who can be a node and the requirements needed for that. Earlier in the show, I could have made the case that Ripple was in fact not decentralized, but when one entity holds that staggering amount of tokens in the project, we can only hope that they want to continue the development. But that's just a hope, and hoping is stupid in the business world where numbers and gains rule. And now you guys are probably going to ask us, so who actually uses Ripple or XRP? What's it good for? Well, let us tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Five companies are currently piloting the XRP technology, including Western Union and MoneyGram. And um, yeah, that's about it for XRP. Banks sort of use Ripple, but that has nothing to do with XRP. As a technology, the Ripple platform may have real value and real history that validates their claims that they what what they make is efficiency. The XRP token itself, however, seems to have a minor use cases. In fact, Ripple has had had a plan actually to face it out at least until everyone's interest started sparking in cryptocurrencies in 2016. And like we said earlier, there are 100 billion XRP tokens that will ever be issued by the XRP ledger. And at the moment, the company Ripple promises that the total number of XRP that there will ever be, though, technically, there is nothing to stop them from issuing more tokens than that 100 billion. Um, Ripple positions XRP in the middle as a tool that is fungible with any other currency or digital asset, such as, I mean, frequent flyer miles or anything you guys use your imagination. Ripple can also settle payments in 3.5 seconds through its XRP ledger and have it available and spendable within that time. The use of XRP is entirely independent of the Ripple network, but in general, that is, banks don't need XRP to transfer their dollars, euros, or anything really, um, which is really what the small investors might actually be missing when they're buying that token and doing their research. The value here is that the Ripple network itself and its ability to move assets around the world quickly rather than in the, than in the XRP token, it 
really make sure that banks are able to use the Ripple software to shift money between different foreign currencies. Currencies. Currently, this is typically accomplished using SWIFT, a system that is burdensome and relies on the banks having separate accounts in every country they work in. So, I mean, Ripple will always use XRP then? Given that Ripple and XRP are separate and trials involving XRP are still at just an early stage, it's not really clear that Ripple will always offer a product that does include the XRP currency or ledger. What if those testing it out decides that it's not really work it, worth it and it's not working? Um, I mean, Treacher was cautious when asked whether Ripple would always use XRP in one form or another. In fact, he even said this, It's very important to keep your true north. He said, and I quote, there will be communities that value different parts of what Ripple does and what we get from them. Clearly our vision is that the whole thing's coming together as a whole, but if we find that certain groups or organizations are much more focused on the liquidity angle that XRP offers or focused on the interledger, that's absolutely fine. He also says, the interledger protocol that we use connects perfectly well to any blockchain and any asset. It doesn't only work with XRP, it's very open. If you're trying to create a solution for the global payment problem, you can't be closed. He also added, we care about this currency. We care that about the digital asset. It's a part of our vision. We want it to do well. In doing so, we're careful to make sure it is freely accessible. It is a community control. I don't know about you guys, but it, but if Treacher makes it, he makes it sound seem as if XRP doesn't take off. He doesn't mind going all BitConnect on you guys. <laughs> Come down, Carlos. Also, another problem people fear is that Ripple controls too much of the XRP. As a rebuttal, Treacher insists that Ripple's escrow agreements and their arrangement means Ripple can't influence XRP's prices directly. A lot of newcomers are of the understanding that holding onto the XRP tokens is somewhat similar to holding shares in Ripple Labs, which is entirely false. To build on that last comment, for example, XRP rallied on the news that Ripple had struck a deal with the internal er, international money transfer business UAE Exchange, despite the fact that the deal was for XCurrent rather than XRapid. A lot of the deals that they do go through the payment channels that they set up at the end of the day are not going to even use the XRP tokens that you guys are buying. One way to think of XRP is like a little magical digital railway network. Ripple has laid down the gauges and has sold off most of it to anyone who wants it. Now Ripple is focusing on making the best damn trains that they can so they can make money off those rails that they sold you. When you look at the market for Ripple and try to find their competitors, something odd jumps out. Despite being one of the oldest cryptocurrencies with the clearest use, there is a surprising lack of direct competitors for financial payments at least financial payments for large corporations, banks as well. Platforms usually have about 20 or more blockchains all competing for Ethereum's place. But Ripple only seems to be really competing with the Stellar Network and a few other organizations. For as mature as Ripple is in this ecosystem, you would expect more. So where are all Ripple's competitors? Well, you certainly won't find them on CoinMarketCap or anything. Ripple's main competition today is those coming from the new class of cryptocurrencies called permissioned blockchains. Dun, dun, dun. As opposed to the permissionless system where anyone can globally join in, permissioned blockchains require an invitation from the organization owning them. 
Today, there are a handful of permission blockchains that are offering similar services that Ripple offers. These organizations include RC Corda, Hyperledger, the Ethereum Enterprise Alliance, also known as EEA, and Swift, Ripple's rival. These businesses are creating products similar enough to Ripple's feature set and partnerships network that these organizations constitute the financial payment network market. If you accept that Ripple's competitors are permission blockchains, then it's useful to compare their features to understand how, per se, Swift's blockchain payment network might be more useful than Ripple. One thing that jumps out of out immediately about permission blockchain is that these networks don't have native assets, despite offering the same basic services that Ripple can offer. If part of the market was split and only half of the market had native assets, this might be less odd. Diesel engines were still produced even after alternatives appeared on the market, but the fact that every major competitor has opted out of selling a native asset, one that allowed Ripple to control billions in value through XRP, signals a change in the market. Let's think about the implications of this. Strong competition has appeared in the market as to be expected. But instead of creating a native asset to secure the network, these competitors have decided to use another method, native identity management. In this case, that secures the network. These blockchains can offer similar, similar future features without the need for an XRP-like component. We can argue whether Swift, R3 Corda, or Hyperledger really have a better set of features than Ripple, but that is besides the point. What these projects have shown by universally disregarding native assets is that their their, component of the Ripple is no longer required to provide value. It's an obsolete component of Ripple's blockchain, in the same way that CD drives were slowly eliminated from new PCs after flash drives became more common. Native assets for blockchain payment networks have a better alternative. Even if Ripple remains the best payment network for financial institutions, XRP remains a sign of what Ripple Labs thought the market would become. The market changed. Ripple's competitors will get better and stronger, and financial institutions will wise up and start considering alternatives, with XRP sticking out as a sore thumb. Even if Ripple is the best, and it's not, because of XRP and its offerings, XRP still does have that great advantage. If anything, it's an additional cost that none of their competitors will have. Ripple still has a better partnership network, a more mature product line, and strong leadership. But with competitors like IBM and R3 Corda entering the industry, it is only a matter of time before the competition will get stronger. In this race, XRP offers no competitive advantage and only represents an additional cost. At the end of the day, Ripple Labs is more valuable because of their ability to provide value to financial institutions. But if an organization like Swift begins to win the market, Ripple Labs will be forced to respond. As Ripple already owns 55% of all XRP and circ- of that will exist, it would be easy for their organization to either sell XRP as a market discount or give it away entirely to new organizations who want to join the network. Increasingly, the price of XRP does not strengthen their position in winning the financial institution's market. When competition gets intense, XRP will be one of the first factors eliminated from Ripple's business model, either through devaluing XRP significantly or by giving it away entirely. As you can see, Ripple and XRP have a lot to lose, and if they lose out of the competition, your XRP tokens can be dismantled. Now, some of you may remember that impressive 100 plus list of financial institutions Ripple is working with. Well, guess what? They're all using XCurrent, and XCurrent does not use XRP. 
of the 100 plus partnerships, Ripple has only one actually that uses the XRP cryptocurrency. There is just one small non-bank financial institution from Mexico called Qualix that is using the XR, that is using XRapid. This means that the headlines showcasing Ripple's partnerships with more and more banks are good uh, for Ripple, the company, since it's succeeding, but also does not mean much for XRP as they're getting adoption. Also, of the 18 banks and financial services companies publicly linked to Ripple, most of them stated that they had not gone beyond the testing phase, while a few had moved on using Ripple's systems for moving real money. However, not one of the 16 companies had actually responded saying that they had used the XRP token other than those two confirmed. Now, with all this in mind, Ripple Labs has its own business. It is trying to compete within banking institutions. XRP, as we heard from Alex and I, is useful to an extent. It isn't really reaching much traction as it needs to be implemented worldwide. The easiest way I can compare it is McDonald's opening a business selling only its fries and having one business sell our burg- all the burgers and shakes and the cookies. And, you know, I'm sure everyone would still visit, you know, the only shop selling fries but we all know everyone wants to visit the shop with the burger in the shack and guys with that uh with that reference it concludes ripples ripple uh ladies and gentlemen please don't forget to subscribe on our social media our twitter where we post all of the links where we got our information for this episode as well as some other insights that we couldn't post on this podcast uh twitter fireside underscore crypto uh instagram facebook and twitch fireside crypto yeah, don't forget to subscribe on Overcast. Let us know what you think. Share with your friends. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a rating so you don't miss out when we post it. Also on Overcast, so you don't miss out when we post. Um, and for the Fireside Crypto Podcast, this is Christian. And I'm Alex, signing, signing off. off.